Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. Like I say, every time, every episode, it's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. And we talk about gifts. We talk about passion. Well, lead with your gifts. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews on this show is about and with celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is Tamla Mann. She's a Grammy Award winner. BET Award winner, Billboard Music Award winner, NAACP Image Award winner, Gospel Music Stella Award winner, GMA Dove Award winner, songwriter, producer, and businesswoman. As an actress, she stars in Tyler Perry's Assisted Living on BET. Tyler Perry's Assisted Living is the number one new scripted series for African Americans 18 to 49 and 25 to 54. And I'm not through, y'all. Tamla's on the show to talk about her career and her new gospel album, Overcomer a compelling collection of songs that takes the listener on the journey Tamla has been traveling the past few years. Please welcome, we always have a good time. She puts a smile on my face and she inspires my viewers and my listeners. Tamla Mann to Money Making Conversations. Tamla. <laughs> What's going on? Hey, you know, how I, are I, you? I, I'm doing fantastic. And I always got a lot to say when you come on the show. You look fantastic. I see awards behind you. Are they blessings? You know, people always say, you know, when you, you achieve a certain level, it can be a blessing and a curse. Talk about that experience of being successful, talent, man. Well, it, I, I won't say it's a curse, but sometimes you're not going to please. The thing I've learned is you're not going to please everybody. Mm -hmm. So I, I enjoy it. I mean, I'm just living, as the kids say now, I'm living my best life. And I really thank God for the favor that he's given me. But... I mean, thank God for the awards, but I don't try not to get caught up into all mm -hmm. of that. I mm -hmm. just like serving. I just love serving. We know I look at Tom Brady when he won the Super Bowl. You know, he said he wanted to win another Super Bowl. And that's and I think that's that's what we, we, we have to understand that don't hold on what sometimes to what you've accomplished. Look at what you can do. And I've always yeah. felt that about, you know, you know, I love David. Your husband is a deaf, and today I got you by yourself today to talk about the things you're doing for your career. Because it always seems that sometimes when you are married, you can get caught up, and people just think you can only do things as a pair. You don't have a life. But I've always seen you as an individual and saw him as a successful individual. Talk about that relationship as a couple and then defining yourself as Tamla Man. As a couple, I, th I can say for myself, I look at us as being a powerful couple because of us believing and supporting one another. And we just try to be examples for other people to see that you can work together and, you know, be some shakers and be some movers to get some things done because we're just really sent to be encouragers. And as individuals, it works for us because we we're not jealous of each other. We're in each other's corners. We have each other's best interest at heart and making whatever that goal is or desire that you have, we want to make it come to pass for each other. Like now David and got my career off and going and now I want him. I told him, let's do it. Let's go do whatever you need to do or want to do. Let's make that happen. And we're just used to allowing each other to have that light. If it's his time to be in the light, mm -hmm. I'm cool with just standing in the background cheering him on and vice versa for me. Well, the, the beauty of being in the background, you really ain't in the background, Tamla. Okay, you know, you, you, you're so much in I the like forefront. You're, you're so much in front of everybody. You're in front of me. You're in front of Steve Harvey. You're in front of a lot of people, girl. Especially in that gospel world, and that's a beautiful thing because we don't know the journeys that we see. We all we do is wake up in the morning. We feel blessed because God allowed us. I always tell people, alarm clock doesn't wake me up. God will yes. be up. You know, alarm clock just have to be some physical tool that reminds me that I can get up at a certain time. But I get up, but I look at your schedule. Let me just tell y'all something about Tamla Man. When they these uh, hard working should be her middle name. Hard working should be David Mann's middle name. While working on her album Overcomer, she filmed two movies: Soul Santa and the new Tyler Perry's movie Medea. Because remember, Tyler said he wasn't gonna do Medea no more. 
Okay. Right. Because, you know, but they roll that check in front of you, make you do a lot of things. Make you do a lot of things, okay? You I know what? Well, but he I, wanted to bring laughter, too. And come, let me come, defend come, my come. brother. We've been going through so much. He was like, y'all, I just wanted us to get together and make people laugh again. So he... It's really this movie, Muddy's Homecoming, is gonna make y'all laugh. I'm telling you, it's some funny junk going on in this movie. And when y'all see what's going on with Mr. Brown, I tell you, it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious. I'm gonna tell you something, Tyler. I, I can see I can see uh Tyler Perry at the Netflix office, right? I ain't ever gonna do uh Madea no more. Then that man said, wrote some numbers out. <laughs> he probably broke out of Madea right there. What y'all want? What y'all want, girl? What y'all want? <laughs> Start calling y'all from Netflix. Girl, Mr. Brown, get, tell Mr. Brown to, to pull up, get them clothes out that closet. Madea is back in the filmmaking business. <laughs> right. Get the game together. Right. I love it. I love it. Now, tell us about Soul Santa now. Because we know where Madea wow. is. Soul Santa. And, man, and that, that's the whole, Soul Santa is going to be something really different for us. As a couple, we still as a couple, but we have some disagreements going on here, but it's serious. Right. It, you know, it's a drama. Um, normally, you know, we have comedy uh, and drama, but this time uh, it's just more drama. And David is, you'll get to see him in a different light. And I really believe it's a really, really cute, loving Christmas movie. It's just going to put you in a Christmas spirit. Well, you know, the, the thing about that when I talk about, like I always look at Kevin Hart and I always tell people Kevin Hart's going to win the Oscar. Because mm -hmm. he can really act. He, he's a, he's structured his career where you can accept him as a comedian, and now you can accept him as a serious actor. And yes. and I've always seen David, and and because he's 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 a person when you sit down and talk to him, you can just see that other side of him, because he's not a guy who has to be on all the time to entertain you. And that allows me to let him know that he can cross over and be serious. He can cross over and be focused. He, he can he cross really over can. and be with the role. So, so when you start seeing him and the script came to you, what were your thoughts of the opportunity and what was his thoughts that he shared with you when he saw he had to do a more serious role? He was he was serious and he was serious of happy about it. Mm -hmm. And for him to be serious, I mean, it was hard. On, like when we were recording it, uh, filming it, you know, some things he wanted to bring in some comedy, but he had to really structure himself to just be straight. And um, Terry Vaughn was our director. And boy, when I tell you she was working with us, she was like, no. We're not doing anything like sitcoms. It's straight. I don't want no laughter right here. So it was really challenging, but a great challenge for him. And even to the extent that uh, him, you know, he was a drinker in the movie, so he had to be drunk. So that was something totally different for him. Right. So it, it's uh, crazy. It's really crazy, but he did it. He did now, a great and job. And all this was done during the pandemic. Okay, yes. which means, which means yes. that we're going to get to some more stuff you done done because you was busy during the pandemic. Pandemic didn't slow you down. It, it, it didn't. Thank the Lord. It really didn't. So how was that done? Would you know when you when you guys uh, uh, quarantined to, on, on, on his uh, compound? How were you able to do these movies and feel still comfortable that you could be safe and your family was safe when you saw him again? On um, the compound with Tyler Perry Studios, yes, we once you you had to test before you got in. We tested like two to three times a week, mm -hmm. and it was like once you got on, you cannot you couldn't leave. Okay, so we were on campus the whole time that we were there filming, which was great. Tyler made sure that everybody had everything they needed. It was it was incredible. It was it was expensive for him, but it was right. very incredible how he took care of everybody and safety was the First thing that they, I mean, they pumped that into us with being right in, up on each other and still social distance mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, all of that. Mm -hmm. Then when we did the movie, we were being tested as well, mm -hmm. two, three times a week. And it was not so as confined as the base of Tyler Perry Studios, but they kind of told us they didn't really want us going out. It's like we would go film, test and be like right in the hotel pretty much. Everybody, they had everybody stay at one hotel. They almost rented out the whole hotel right, for right, everybody. Right. So mm -hmm. it would just be us there. But we tested like two to three times a week and they were really pushing, you know, social distance and keeping your mask on. And mm -hmm. um, the actors, we had to do these shields right. once they put right. your makeup on. But everybody had to be masked up, like hair and makeup had to have on 
two masks, like right. a mask and a shield. Right. Mm-hmm. So they were being, everybody was being very careful. That's awesome. We've been that's really awesome. blessed. We've been really blessed. So now that's it. We, we got the two movies. We got the Soul Santa out the way. We got the Tyler Perry Bedelia film out the way. Then she shot two seasons. I'm talking about she being Tamil Man. Shot two seasons of Tyler Perry's Assisted Living. Woo! Girl, okay, uh, 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 how are you interviewing with me? Why you ain't tired? Oh, oh. Well, I was tired, so I had to push. <laughs> I took a, I took a few breaks. I took uh-huh. some breaks, mm-hmm. but and then two working on the music. But you know what? You have to kind of work while it's day. You have to just keep going while you can because mm-hmm. you don't know what we do. You don't know what's gonna happen next. So you kind of have to work. When it's time to work, and, and, and I think a lot of people don't do that. When it's time to play, then you play. A lot of people don't do that. They put restrictions on what they can do. Uh, I can, oh, I do say, or they say something like, "I do it later," or that opportunity to gonna come back around. And that's not always true. That's not. Yep, it's not. And so it's not, then, it's not true that it's thing, gonna come back. They may go get somebody else. Absolutely. And, and the thing miss, that I love about that you, opportunity. that I love about you, because I always talk about you being a businesswoman was the launch of your clothing line, the Tamla Man Collection. Because to me, you know, because I, you know, I, I I love seeing talent. I love seeing gifted people. But some people just can see you in that lane and think that's all you can do. And that's what I always that's, champion your business so side of you. You know, that's, every time I talk to you, we talk business. So talk about that whole, the Tamla Man Collection. How did it get started? And what motivated you to do it? What motivated me to do it was trying to go find some nice things for plus size. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Because, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of times when it comes to our fabrics, you know, they have some stuff that look like tablecloths. And we don't want to look like a tablecloth. Right. Even though mm-hmm. we may be thick, we mm-hmm. don't want to look like it. We want to look cute, too. Mm-hmm. So I was really tuned in on, like, the plus size thick ladies. I don't, you know, I hate, I don't even like the word plus size. I say thick. Mm-hmm. You know, nice right. with our curves <laughs> everywhere. But whoever got, wherever your curves are, I like that. That's worth thick. So sizes 12 to 32 is for your everyday woman. Something nice and comfortable is what we were aiming for. And the quality, it was all, it's all about Timberman collection with the quality of work and how well it's put together. So when I'm talking to my, uh, my young, the manager, which is my daughter-in-law that runs it. Mm-hmm. And the other lady that helps us with distribution, mm-hmm. I'm all about pushing the fabrics that we choose. My daughter helps my daughter and my daughter-in-law, we all three of us, and they're younger, so we're trying to right. help for my age group and mm-hmm. the younger age group mm-hmm. so we can have something for everybody. So we try to, you know, dress up. I want it to be cute, comfortable, right. where it's you can do, do your errands, uh, actually work out in it. Yes, yes. Those comfortable clothes you can just throw on and throw Absolutely. and go and got to worry about ironing it. Things like that. That's how also, that came about. It's something comfortable and cute for our thick ladies. Right. So, so tell David to do the same thing for me, because when I get out these suits, I just want some comfortable stuff that I can just go out in the yard, or I can just go to the store, or I can go to Home Depot, or go to the Kroger's or whatever. Comfortable, but look good though. I still gotta have my little style on me, you know, have my flavor. That's what you're saying. Your clothing line is. You can look comfortable. You can feel comfortable, but you still look good and cute. Yes. The Tamil exactly. Man Collection. That's what we're talking about. Now, 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 this leads to the song, He Did It For Me. Now, when I when I heard that title, He Did It For Me, that 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 resonated with me. Because I'm not a person that I'm not, I'm gonna tell you straight up for I'm not a church goer. I'm not a person who can recite quotes from the Bible. You know, I, I'm not gonna even say that. But that my <laughs> faith, you cannot question that. Because I am strong in my faith. I'm strong in my belief that I'm blessed to be here. I, I, I wake up because of the, the, the mercy of God. My family is here because of the, the blessings that he provides for me to be able to take care of them. And the fact that I come home every day is tied to his blessings. So when I hear he did it for me, what did it resonate to you? Because you created the song. You sing the song. He did it for me comes from a place. I had did this. I had did... Um, an interview, and uh, then I, I heard, I got back of uh, someone saying, you know, that I'm doing a lot of things and a lot of doors are opening for me, and why is she getting all of these things? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. it really hurt me to the core, honestly, where it brought me to tears, where I'm not out here, no one is handing me anything. Right. We're working for, we work for everything that we have. Uh-huh. And I just, 
I was talking to the a producer, uh, which was Phil Bryan at the time, and I was like, man, this don't come easy, the gifts that we have. And I just didn't understand why the words were being said. Why is everything coming to her? Why, like it's, I guess it looks easy, but it's not easy for me. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I just really... I just really didn't understand, honestly. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it was God who did this for me. Right. I didn't do it for myself. It was a favor mm-hmm. that he's placed upon my life with the work that I've put in. Mm-hmm. And that's how he did it for me came about that. It's no goodness of my own, but the Lord saw fit to, to bless me. We know the thing. We know the, the interesting thing about it is that I look at, I look at my life, you know, and I, and I look at your life too. Cause you know, we've known each other a long time. And when you're young, you know, when you're young in your 20s and 30s, you don't see 40s and 50s. You just don't see it. And then, mm-hmm. I, and then I look at young people being successful in their 20s and 30s, and, I, and I, I, I often think, do they understand how much it takes to get to the 40s and 50s with that same level of success? And then I realize I'm blessed. I'm blessed because I work hard, but I'm blessed because the opportunity is presented to me. And I just, I guess what I'm just trying to say to you is that, he did it for me, really is a testimony to that. You understood at 20 he did it for you, 30 he did it for you, in your 40s and older he did it for you. So yes. and a lot of people don't understand that. They get lost because they only live it for the moment. Because mm-hmm. I tell people, I'm going to live as long as, I don't know what retirement means. I don't know how you're supposed to walk at 50 or 60 or 70, but Rashawn going to walk like Rashawn. Rashawn going to dress like Rashawn. And I think that when I hear the the title, he did it for me, that's all you're saying. Don't criticize me for what I'm achieving because I'm not trying to take credit for what I'm achieving. Exactly. Exactly. That's so true. That's true. And and I think sometimes people feel like, you know, give me a shot. But, you know, once upon a time in my life, I can't say I would be looking like, Lord, why, why, I'm not being blessed. But once I honestly start putting the work in and start believing what I prayed for, that's when the Lord start moving in my behalf because my faith starts standing on its own to trust God, to be God. Right. Mm-hmm. And he started doing, start doing it for me. Right. Now, you know, uh, when I when, when think about your life, you know, uh, my, 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 I got on the scale the other day. I, I just recently had a, a gallbladder surgery. You know, and, oh. um, like three weeks ago, and uh, I, girl, and what you doing at work, girl? I'm telling you something. I enjoy my life. Okay, God told me I can get up. I'm just telling you, Tamalee. Don't be telling me. Don't be criticizing me for sitting up here interviewing you. Okay, <laughs> I keep telling you, God woke me up. Say, okay, it's good. I'm not pushing myself. I ain't out there running no marathon. I'm not on no. I'm, I'm not on you no balance beam. Okay, I'm, I'm not doing none of that. I'm just getting up, putting on a nice suit, sitting in the air conditioning room, interviewing a friend. Okay, you can stop. <laughs> stop. Okay. So I had gallbladder okay. surgery, and then and, and, just, and so my stupid behind, I'm taking a. Uh, Alcacessor, I'm talking Tom's. I'm thinking it's a stomachache, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because that's what we do. You know, we don't realize our body's talking to us. We try to ignore and try to remedy a certain needs. So recently mm-hmm. uh, in your life, this journey that we're talking to that led you to the album that we're going to hear, The Overcomer, you had double knee surgery, you had physical therapy, you went on a wellness journey. Talk about that because yeah. I always tell people on this show, I try to present a life that I'm not perfect. I try to present a life that I make mistakes. That sometimes I don't understand because people look at me like I know it all. I'm successful. I don't have any problems. Oh, you know, I don't have any money issues. I do have money issues every day. And so that's right. You had double knee surgery. You had physical. Talk about that whole journey of wellness for you that makes you comfortable to talk about it today. Okay. Well, that's how Overcomer came about. The, The last five or six years, I was actually working in pain, dancing around, doing filming. All of these things were happening and I would be in so much pain and, you know, once. But while I was working, it's like it didn't bother me. But once I came off stage or sit down, my knees would be hurting me so bad. Mm -hmm. And after going through the surgery, not knowing how I was going to, if everything was going to work properly, you know, if my body was going to adjust to this material being in my body. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I need you to help me overcome this and then with the wellness thing again it's like I didn't want to be a liability on my family so it's like you got to do something different 
mm-hmm. if you want some different results. So it's right. a, I'm still that's why I took the album, the name Overcomer, because it's a day-by-day walk that by faith I'm gonna overcome. I'm overcoming, I've lost some weight, but it's I still got goals that I want to reach. I want to complete and finish that that I started. And with the with the knees and everything, I went through the therapy, like you said, and it's like Every day, every day, you know, it's getting better and better. It's, um, it's been two years, July. So it's like I'm getting better and better. And I just want to be like that even in my life. Right. I just want to get better. I don't want to be, even though I'm 50, in my 50s, mm-hmm. I still want to be able to learn from somebody. I can mm-hmm. learn from a young person mm-hmm. or even an older person. I'm open to receive. It's good. If it's going to make me better, I'm willing to do that. Well, you know, So that's how I'm working at being an overcomer every day and i'm encouraging those who are watching it and listening that we all can overcome and we can conquer well come on now y'all you you, you special now the two albums two songs on the album overcomer and conquer she just slipped that in so smooth that's that's what happens <laughs> you're dealing with a pro you know so well, you can overcome well, what, and you can conquer that's how it came about <laughs> is the word started with completion and when i looked the word up finishes in it Mm-hmm. So a lot, and I realize a lot of things we've started in our lives, and I even my, in my own life, I took it personal. All these songs I took them personal. Mm-hmm. I've started things that you know you start cleaning up in a room, and before you know it, you know started another room, and you haven't even finished completing that task. Mm-hmm. So my thing is to stay focused and finish. Mm-hmm. This album we started with finished work, the work that God has begun in us, we're gonna finish. Mm-hmm. And with his help, we're gonna complete it. Right. And then the a- album, the last song on the album is called Finish, mm-hmm. that we will finish and we're gonna finish well. Well, the beauty of this now, you've always had people write songs for you. You always never participated right. in that side of it. Talk about that, because you know, it's it's about confidence too. You know, it's about well, what you write makes sense. Well, if you tell somebody you wrote this, would they would they look at you and just pacify you? But it, and then say that's good, Rish- but then slide something Ooh, else in Rishon, front of you. You, you, boy, you anointed to do what you do <laughs> because those are my exact thoughts as a as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Is this gonna make sense? I don't know. And I mean, me and my daughter was sitting with the the producer, and he really helped me. On he did it for me. He helped me on help me to really realize that my words and even with Travis Green, he wrote finish. I sit and talk to him for about about an hour of what I wanted to talk about. And he took all my words mm-hmm. and put them into finished. And the same thing with he did it for me, with Phil mm-hmm. and all of us just working together. It's like he helped my confidence come alive. Mm-hmm. You know, like dealing with sometimes, you know, it takes you switching up and yes. doing something with somebody yes. else yes. to see, to stir up the gift in you, you know, and that's what's happened on this album that I realized that my words can be good and they, that they are important and that they're not too small, that they can be, that they can be used. Absolutely. You know, that when she says Phil, she's talking about Phil Bryant and my boy, uh, Kurt Franklin, those on there, Travis Green, who I love to death. Yes, Travis Green, I love to death. I got to get him back on the show. And then you have my boy, I call him the church outlaw, Todd Delaney. Woo! Got him on there. Got Todd <laughs> Delaney on there. How you, how you get name. Todd Delaney, the I'm church outlaw? I'm going to call him and tell him the outlaw. That is good for him. <laughs> how you get the church outlaw on your album, church girl? Huh? Overcomer? Conqueror? He did it for I me? Called, I called Todd and I said, Todd, I want to talk about finishing. I said, I want to talk about the work that we've begun in the Lord to finish. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you he called me back, and I was, it was a scratch of him playing on the piano. And I said, man, I said, this is it. Yes, yes. So yes. we wound up going to Chicago with mm-hmm. his band and singers and recording it live. Yeah. And with his producer, uh, Duke Janelle, and Earl, Janelle. Ale and all them folks up there, yeah. And, uh, and uh, man, I tell you, I, it was so... It was like a heavenly experience. And mm-hmm. we was in a, in a sanctuary with just us and just a very few people that work in the church. Mm-hmm. But when I tell you, it was like the Lord met us there. And I'm I'm so excited because it's like another side of me that no one's seen or heard mm-hmm. on finished mm-hmm. work. And mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just geeked 
and nervous for every, you know, of course, when you come with new music, you don't know what people going to receive and right. all that. But I just believe in my heart that the God has given me is going to really be able to bless the people. And that's my goal is to bring hope, inspiration, and let people know that the mercies of God still exist on this earth. Right. And everybody is not out to get us and that we can accomplish those things that God has begun in us. He's a healer that he can heal us of all manner of diseases that's going on in the world. We don't have to walk in fear. If we do what we need to do and do what we're supposed to do, we're going to work out and we're going to be fine. Tamla, you know, I, I, um, Rita Franklin, one of my all time favorites. So when she did the amazing grace and I'm mm-hmm. going to be honest with you. Um, every time I see you, I see, I see that moment. There's gonna be a moment when you're gonna just settle into understanding all your blessings. Like that's why this album is special overcomer, because you you finally step past that thing that say, my words have value. That yes, I, I sir. Don't, you know, yes, I can sir. write it down and it's gonna mean something to somebody else because it means something to me. Yes. See, the next yes, thing sir. is going to be that's like that great. little journey you went up to Chicago and did with Todd. The next yeah. time. All y'all gonna be in the room. Travis Green gonna be in the room with you. Kurt Franklin gonna be in the room. Philip Bryan gonna Kimbrough gonna be in the room with you. And it's gonna be about you. Telling yes, everybody, you know, about the king, about he did it for me. Talk about the conqueror. Talk about yes. all these journeys that mean something. And I just wanna let you know is this this album is a blessing for you, because finally, I think that's the final step. Because you know, every time I interview you, I'm always, I love David. I'm always stepping into you because I know you a person, have all these great talents, you kind of background it a little bit. And David yeah. has pushed you out there and finally you feel the anointment of who you, and what you can be. I just, I'm just so happy for you. I am so happy for you. Thank you so much. You look, you, you're bringing tears to my eyes. So thank you so much for that encouragement. Well, that is, that's great. That's you know, great. You know, I, I know, then, you know, every time I come on the show, I got to talk about the family. Because you mentioned your daughter earlier. And, uh, yes. you know, y'all, y'all, y'all went out on tour a couple of years before the pandemic. Was all over the country doing the, the Tilly Man Entertainment Tour. Talk about yes. the family. How's it, how's it all coming together? How, how, they, how they went through the pandemic and all that good stuff. Just, just talk about the journey that you and your husband are putting together in the future that y'all going to have for us. Because we already know you got movies coming out, TV shows coming out, Alvin, The Overcomer coming out. What's coming out with you and your husband? I got to go back to the family core now. My daughter, uh, Tia, the youngest one, vocal produced me in the album. She had her hand in everything. Uh, and her, her boyfriend, his name is Justin Pearson. They're actually sitting right here with me right now. <laughs> and it's amazing how they were able to help. They took a relief off of David Sr., and they, were, they stepped into the role. And I mean, they really stepped into the role to help me with this thing and it's been incredible just to see her develop and and for her skills to come out and for all of us to see that this hidden and fear that she's had it's like finally she's stepping into herself and into her own and you know even like everybody you know with my other daughter that works in the in the company Portia and then David Jr everybody is finding their rightful place which is causing the company to grow. And, you know, and I, I have to pray hard because once everything gets really smooth, the enemy tries to show his head. Right. And, and it's like, of course, to try to bring discord and make try to mess things up. But he's doing his job. That's why I have to stay on my job praying. Mm-hmm. And we have to stay on our job in what we need to be doing and staying in our lane to make this thing grow. Because even as individuals, they have great talents of their own that... Mm-hmm. I really appreciate and thank God for the Lord stirring up. But I always tell them, you got to keep God as your base. If you want to be blessed, this is how your mom and dad has been blessed. It's been the favor of God. It's been God keeping his hand on our lives. I I can't take no credit for none of it. It's all been God using us and directing us. As you said. Well, you know, um, we laugh with her. We've seen her grow as a a young lady, as as a wife, as a mom. And uh, but her new CD, an overcomer, Tamla Man has been more involved than ever in this songwriting, lending her input to nearly every track. Never has she been more creative with her vision, been more powerful, or her heart more open than this collection of poignant songs. The past few years, you've seen the physical setbacks, you've seen her overcome, you've seen her smile when she had pain in her pain in her body. 
But what's never stopped me is telling you I love you, telling you I love your husband, and I thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations again. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a joy today. You, you got me. You got me hyped up. Now, <laughs> boy, I, ho- I hope whoever's after you today is gonna be as hyped. I know they're not. Because <laughs> you, know, you, you, you got your own. You got your own vein. You're in the lane all by yourself. Thank you so much, Rashad. As as usual, you're a blessing to me, and you're a blessing to our community. Thank you for sharing and bringing us some good information. Thank you so much. Cool. We will be right back with more Money-Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money-Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hollywood super producer Will Packer has produced films that have earned more than $1 billion at the box office. Will Packer tells me why marketing his brand as a producer wasn't normal in Hollywood. Well, when I came in as a producer, I knew how important it was to connect with an art. That really started with my journey at FAMU because I made my first film project, which was Chocolate City, while I was still a, an undergraduate at FAMU. I was a junior. We shot Chocolate City, this little bitty movie, and in order for that film to be successful, I had to go out to my audience, my core audience, and I realized I needed to go out and explain to that audience why they should care about this film. And that really started something that I still do to this day, which is going out and trying to touch people with every project that I have. If you want to hear this full interview with Will Packer, visit MoneyMakingConversation.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is uh, Craig Melvin. He's the co-host of the Today Show and the author of the book, Pops, Learning to Be a Son and a Father. You may know Craig. He's an award-winning news anchor, as I said earlier, on the Today Show. You also have seen him on MSNBC Live and a host of Dateline. He's on the show discussed his book, Pops, Learning to Be a Son and a Father. It's the story of all the father figures in Craig's life, and that includes inspiring men from his program or his series called Dad's Got This series on NBC, NBC news today. These experiences and encounters have shaped Craig's understanding of his own role as a dad, and I'm sure I can be related. We'll have a nice conversation since Father's Day has recently passed. He has two young children. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, my man, Craig Milvin. How you doing, Craig? Well, Sean, I'm well. I'm well. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. Uh, I always enjoy your conversation, so honored to be a part of one. Thank you, my man. Uh, a Southern boy, South Carolina. Okay. There you go. You know, uh, I, I, you know, when I, when I see people on TV and you're so articulate, you there are no y'alls, there are no accents. How does a man come straight out of Columbia? And I know Columbia because Steve Harvey and I used to go down a lot performing at the town center, selling that place out all the time. So I'm very familiar with South Carolina, Charleston, that whole <laughs> low country. There's no low country in your Tone, what's going on here? How you how you break that low country accent, low country accent? Oh, it's funny because I didn't, I never, I never had it. My mom, uh, you'll appreciate this. Uh, growing up in Houston, mm-hmm. uh, the way that you grew up, my mom grew up in the projects, mm-hmm. and you know, first in the family to go to college, and first in the family to get a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. So when we came along, she wanted to expose us. To, to things and places that she had not been exposed to. Right. And, and consequently, I think was, I was probably 14 or 15, and she had us uh, take part in these oratorical contests. Right. Um, and and that was was kind of how it started. So I, 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 took, I took some public speaking classes and then these oratorical contests. And then the next thing you knew, I had what they what they like to call in the business a, uh, a nondescript dialect where you, you can't really tell uh, based on listening to me uh, where I'm from. So it, yeah. It's a blessing now. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, it was always, he's, he's, he's talking white. Absolutely. He talks, he talks like a, he talks like a white boy. Uh, yeah. um, so it's, you know, it's, it, it was a curse. Now it's a blessing. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I knew in my middle school, yeah, I remember my teacher used to always ask me to read. Used to always ask me to read. And, you know, people talk about bullying. And, you know, when you people talk about, they call you snowflake. That was a oh, form yeah. of bullying. And then so it's it's popularized now because people are willing to talk about it. But we all grew up in some form of physical or mental abuse from high school kids or people in the neighborhood. And my I remember this, this, this girl, she made such a big deal that I was always asked to read. That it, it almost, I have to say, traumatized me because... I, I went exactly the opposite. I wanted to talk. I wanted to say ain't. I wanted to have, I wanted to slur my words. I wanted to fit in. 
And yeah. so with you, I, I bring that story up because you talk about it because you was hit with it. You was hit, you know, talking white. You didn't want to act white. You you calling you snowflake. What kept you focused? What kept you from from veering off like I veered off? I veered off and I said, hey, man, I want to fit in and not be me. You know, I think it was, um, and I write about it in the book, my mother, my mother really was shot. I mean, she, um, she, she kept us on the straight and narrow. At the time, uh, we, we resented the strictness. I mean, my mom, she knew all of our friends. Right. She knew all of the parents. Uh, we weren't allowed to stay out past, you know, during the week, maybe nine o'clock, maybe mm-hmm. on the weekends when kids were going to parties and having fun. I was doing oratorical contests and church <laughs> activities. And uh, I went to, in high school, I think I probably went to maybe three high school football games on Friday night. I just, I didn't, I grew up on a very tight leash. Right. Um, and, and part of it was my mother overcompensating for, for my father not being the kind of dad that he should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of it was mom knew, she knew back then, I think, kind of what it took. She was a school teacher. Then she went into administration. She knew what it took um, to, to shape and mold uh, young black boys, especially. Right. And, and that was it. Had it not been for her, had I grown up in, in another house, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Well, you know, in writing your book, you know, the book we're talking about, talking, interviewing Craig Melvin, his book Pops, Learning to Be a Son and a Father. Is it because of the fact that your father wasn't there, that she maybe overcompensated and wanted to make sure you didn't, you had a better life or you pursued the options, even though I knew she went to college and I think yeah. at the age of 22 is when she became pregnant with you. Mm-hmm. But talk about that in the middle of this, because as we talk about trying to shape you because of the fact that you've been shaped by a lot of people, especially the stories. We're going to talk about the, the prison incident when you was out at Camp Grace, how that really kind of like started you in this direction of humanizing all men, especially men who are incarcerated. Talk about your mom and her role versus your dad role, because you mentioned it just a little bit. But yeah. that centers around us getting to the story and your father changing his life at the age of 67. So mom, yeah, mom, mom, mom had to play the role of mom and dad uh, for uh, the better part of my childhood. Right. Um, it was, it was, it was a role that she was, you know, she was fortunately well prepared for it because uh, she ended up she had to take care of her three younger siblings um, when she was in college, and her father uh, skipped out of the family, ended up um, essentially dying on the streets in, in squalor. Um, but no, a mom. Because my father was not physically uh, present as often as I would have liked, and my younger brother would have liked, and my older brother as well, mom stepped in to, to fill the gap. She filled the she filled the void, and not just not just being present in the sense of uh, Sean uh, uh, little league games or soccer games or or concerts. Not just physically present, but 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 emotionally present, right? Uh, spiritually present. Right. I mean, that, the relationship that I have. Uh, with God is because of, of my mother's relationship mm-hmm. uh, with, with God. So it, it was um, it was divine intervention. You know, had I had any other mother, it, things would not have, have gone um, the, the way that they did. But, you know, it's it's also and I write about it in the book, as you know, and mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate the fact that you read the book. You'd be surprised how often you talk to people about books <laughs> and they haven't read word one. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I can tell that you read the whole thing. And I write about, in the book, my father, I asked him during the course of, of my, my interviews with him for the book, I said, Pops, what was the most money you ever wasted mm-hmm. without missing a beat? He said it was about $1,500 back in 1986. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that was a lot of money back then. What'd you spend that money on? Right. He said, that's how much, that's how much it cost to put my daddy in the ground. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in that moment, I realized um, that while I had been frustrated by the lack of relationship I had with my dad, it was exponentially better than the relationship he had with his own father. Right. He didn't even know who his dad was until he was almost a teenager. So it, it was, it was wholly unrealistic of me to expect him to be the kind of dad that I had, had come to, to, to idolize. He, he couldn't be it because he hadn't seen it and you can't be something. It, or scratch that. It's really hard to be something. Yes. If, if if you if you haven't seen it, if you haven't been exposed to it, so that's what my dad was up against. Well, you know, when I when I read the book, you know, um, you know, I heard Shotgun House, 
Okay, I, I grew up in I was born in a shotgun house, two bedroom shotgun house. A lot of people, if you listen to the shotgun house, open to the front door, shoot a gun out the shotgun out the through the go out the front back door, don't hit anything. That's a shotgun house. Okay. Yo. Uh, you you reference pig feet. Grew up with pig feet, my man. Hey, I oh, wouldn't man. touch them now, Greg. I wouldn't touch them now. <laughs> oh, but oh. but pig feet were, were, were part of my lifestyle. And so that's the southern. I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm from the South. It was it was a lifestyle that was normal to me, but it was also a community community lifestyle of people taking care of each other. And that was really important. Not only your dad, even though there were some missteps, there were still people there to take care of him, you know, to make sure he was focused, to shout at him as he became an adult. There were people in the community. That's really important in this book that no matter what, there's some form of family tied to your story and the people in your life. Talk about that. You know, it's a, it's it's funny because long before uh, people started talking about it taking a village mm-hmm. uh, to 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 rear a child, I, I had a village. We, you know, it wasn't called that back back in the '80s in South Carolina, back in the '80s and '90s where I grew up. But I I, I had a village, and 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 yes, there were uh, a number of men um, who played the role of dad along the way. My uncle James, my uncle Jake, my uncle Frank. Um, but th- there were also a lot of women that, that, that played the part as well. i I was disciplined and I think that's the politically correct term. <laughs> I was, I was disciplined by more women growing up than, than men, whether it was my mom or, or one of my aunts or my grandma. I spent a lot of time with mm-hmm. my two grandmothers growing up mm-hmm. and, and they really, uh, shaped me in myriad ways that I didn't fully appreciate until I was older. Right. Uh, but and then after that, I had coaches along the way. I always, God always blessed me with 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 people along the road, right? Uh, that that gave me a little part of of something that I was that I was able to take and build on. Right. It's difficult for young black men, especially. It's it's difficult to to learn how to carry yourself in this world. Um, with without examples of it. And and I, I had lots of examples, thankfully, along the way. But the reality is, as you know, Sean, a lot of kids don't have that. Right. A lot of kids don't, they just, you know, through no fault of their own, mind you, mm-hmm. they, 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 they don't have a, a mother or a father or an uncle or an aunt mm-hmm. to take their hand uh, on this journey of life. And so they end up finding role models uh, that, that should not be held up but that should right. not be on a pedestal and right. they begin to, to emulate them. You know, the, the thing I really like about your book is that sometimes, uh, I, I, cause I, my father was a truck driver, you know, so, you know, when he wasn't driving trucks, you know, he was, uh, he was, he wasn't really connected to me. I can, I can tell you, he was my father. I can tell you that. My mom was there for me. My mom pushed me. My mom always felt that I could be somebody special in life. Uh, when your father showed up for your ball game, that, that memory, you don't know if you got a hit or a home run or you or got, or got struck out every time you went up the bat, but you remember that moment. And then when your mom rescued you, when you thought uh, you had uh, entered early fatherhood, <laughs> you know, those are two moments that really, I bring up those two moments, Craig, because despite of all the things we do in our life, there are always memories that really, some haunt people, some inspire people. Your father showing up for your game and your mom, I basically coming to the rescue because she did something that enabled you to relax. Talk about those two key moments of parenting. Even though your father wasn't there, that was a key parenting moment that he provided for you that stays with you today. It probably carries into your parenting with your with your children today. And then your mom being there for you at a moment of doubt, frustration, fear. But both of them were there at different times. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about the part of my book where I, uh, I, 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 I almost became a teenage father. I was almost a, a statistic at the age of 14, mm-hmm. uh, no less. I, I made a, 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 a bad choice. I mm-hmm. made a bad choice. And you know what? I write about it because I, I wrote about it because I wanted people to understand uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And, 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 and I think a lot of folks can relate to this, this idea that, you know, there's that night or sometimes that day, but usually it's, it's that night where you went left, but you could have gone right. Right. You went right 
And, and, and had you made a different decision, it would have altered the course of your life in a dramatic way. Mm -hmm. Um, that almost happened to me. I got lucky. And, and, and at that point in my life, I was, I didn't have much of a relationship with my father. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I was afraid of my mother, uh, deathly afraid. (laughs) So I couldn't talk to her about it. And it was a situation where, you know, this young lady was convinced she was pregnant. And I, like, I had to, I had to do something. This was not one of those situations where uh, inaction was an option. Right. And, um, and I write in the book about how I went to my, my aunt. And it was my aunt that finally convinced me that I had no choice but to talk to my mother. Right. Uh, but my mom has always been, long before we started calling people fixers, my right. mom was a fixer. Like, it was, it was um, that, that obviously was an extreme example. But there were so many other times in my life where I thought I was out of options. And I didn't know what <laughs> yes. I was going to do. And I prayed to God and put trust in Betty Jo Melvin. And, and Betty Jo Melvin always came through and still does now, mind you, in a different way. My dad, you know, I wrote about that, that, that part in the book with Sean where he showed up at my Little League game. And the memory stayed with me uh, because it was so rare to that point. My, my dad, um, and, and again, now, looking back on it, knowing what we know about addiction, about mm-hmm. it being a disease and not a weakness, mm-hmm. I understand why he wasn't there. I understand why he had walled himself off from our family and society at large. But back then, I was a kid. You know, right. I was a kid who wanted my, my, my dad to, to be proud of me and see me uh, and certainly watch, watch my Little League games. And so when he showed up uh, that evening and I saw him, uh, down the third baseline there on the, on the fence. It's a, it's a memory that, that stayed with me because it was so rare. That being said, now um, he's everywhere. Like, yes. I, you know, I, he was up two weeks ago. My son had a soccer game. My dad was right there with me on the sideline. <laughs> um, and 30 seconds in, my, my boy hadn't scored a goal all season. 30 seconds in, dribble, 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 shoot, score. First goal of the game. And and me and my pops are high fiving like he had just won a green jacket at Augusta. Yes, you know um, it, was, it was the book is um, an emotional book. And I would say emotional because I told people when I get a book like this, I have to slow read it because sometimes it hit points where I go, oh, 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 I'm about to I'm about to go there. I'm not. Let me finish this moment. And because um, I remember a moment with my dad, um, 1992, when I owned a comedy club, and my dad had never ever been to anything I've been and he just showed up at the comedy club and uh it was sold out and I looked in the lobby I said, what you doing here dad he go I come to see my son oh, and, and he man. looked around he looked wow this you this you this you and I went uh yes sir yes sir you know because I always said sir to my dad yeah. and uh and he said he said he said I'm proud of your son and um and and like I said this is this, because that's what the book did to me as a dad because when you start talking about incarceration, and you talk about remember you talk you said earlier right turn, left turn, those turns. I always say that when I was in college, you know, you you pledged a fraternity, I pledged Omega Sci Fi, and you always do stupid things. I remember the the Big Brother said, "We want some plants." Well, we didn't have no money, and so uh, I remember this it was this giant open field where they had plants back in the day, and me and my line brothers we went and stole these plants. Man, I mean, if you look back on it, Craig. From the freeway, you would have seen us running across this field with these plants, okay? So anybody could have went, what are those black dudes, boys doing running with all these giant plants? And I had a little Fiat uh, X19, which is a two-seater, and the truck was in the front. So I had to put the plants in the front, and it was blocking my windshield. So (laughs) all along the way, I could have been stopped by the police and been incarcerated. And my life could have changed on that right turn, left turn that you were talking about earlier. You are meeting men who've done something far worse than what I've talked about, but they have made a mistake. And sometimes because they've made a mistake, we don't give them a second chance because we feel that they are unworthy of that second chance. (laughs) And then in your book, you talk about, guess what? They are fathers too. Let's talk about that journey of, of you doing a story. I think basically changed your life. And it started with Camp Grace. Yeah, it was one of the most impactful stories I've ever done. Uh, there's a, and I don't even remember how we found out about this camp, but um, I was probably reading some article in, in an obscure publication about this um, summer camp at a maximum security uh, prison 
in uh, California, Salinas State Valley Prison is the name of the facility. And for one week every summer, um, they bring in about a dozen or so kids to basically have a, a camp experience with their dads. I mean, you know, arts and crafts and they play games and they sing songs and they do all the stuff that you would do at a, at a camp. I mean, these kids are between the ages of, you know, seven or eight and, and 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. And the, the guys who are part of the program have to um, exhibit good behavior for right. a full year. The, the, the camp is a, it's a privilege. And um, I went out and spent some time talking to these guys and it ended up being just a, an emotional day because right. these, these are men, first of all, most of them are not going to be getting out of prison. I mean, they've, some of them have, have, have been convicted of, of doing some pretty heinous things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the two women that started the camp, um, both of their husbands were incarcerated and consequently mm-hmm. uh, weren't really a part of the, the, the child's lives. They would get the re- occasional visit, you know, on a weekend and you've got the glass and, but they weren't able to really be a part of the child's life. So they came up with this idea for a camp. And I talked to one of the guys out there and I asked him the question. I knew a lot of people were going to be asking when they watched or, or read the story, how can someone um, accused of some of the things these guys were accused of, how, how in what universe do they deserve the right to yes. spend time with with a, with a child. Yes. And without missing a beat, uh, he said to me, tears in his eyes, um, they might be right. I, I may not deserve it. But you know what, Craig? My kids do. Right. My, ki- my kids deserve to know their father. They didn't do anything uh, wrong. They didn't make any bad choices. Uh, and his larger point, and I think this was just as valid, if we're serious about stopping uh, the, the the prison pipeline that we always talk about, mm-hmm. uh, then, then we need to make sure that kids of, of incarcerated individuals have relationships with them. He spent a fair amount of his time talking to his daughter right. about choices, making yes. good choices, yes. not ending up where he ended up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fantastic program, and it moved me. And it, it also moved me, uh, Rashad, because... You know, my grandmother, and it's the first line in the book, not to give away too much, but, you know, my, my grandmother, uh, now when I knew her, she was either born, <laughs> yes. she was going to church, at church, or coming right. home from church. Like, she, <laughs> she only loved the Lord. Yes. Uh, but apparently, long before I came along. Well, the, I'll tell you uh, what, Craig, just, just, just say she's a bootlegger. I don't want to give away no more than that. Just say she's a bootlegger. I don't want to give away the earlier part, okay? She's a bootlegger. <laughs> she was a bootlegger. She was a bootlegger. And, um, and, and, and got a second chance. Yes, he did. And had she not gotten a second chance, uh, who's to say whether I would be here right now, you know? But here's the thing I want to point out about that. Now, his grandmother was in the same jail that Martha Stewart was in. Yes. So she got, how many chances has she got? Okay, but in the same facility now, and so so when I when I when I read the book and I'm, and and and, I'm, I'm, and it's, it, like I said, it's an emotional journey because it's your story, but it's a relatable story because I remember when my younger brother was incarcerated in California, and uh, glass talking, and uh, and I was in tears, and 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 he told me he couldn't cry. He said, "I wish I I can't cry. I can't. They can't." He said, "I can't." And my nickname is Ricky. He said, "Ricky, I can't cry." Because they see me crying out here, I, I pay a price when I go back inside. And in that book, you know, the gentleman you interviewed, and he said, look, he said, thank God I have a cell by myself because yep. now I can cry. And yep. so I love the fact that you were humanizing people because we, we see these, we see this, we see the violent sides and nobody's trying to downplay that. But we have made mistakes. There are people on the other side of this that have to deal with it emotionally. These are kids. And like one of them said, look, uh, it's all right early on when you're playing cards and you're playing catch. But when they become teens, the conversation becomes different. And that's what fatherhood's all about, which leads to your whole life of being a father, being connected to your dad, and now being a present-day father. Let's talk about that, Craig. (laughs) You know, it's, it, um, I, I think that um, I think that you can be shaped by negative examples yes. uh, um, just as much as you can be shaped by positive examples. In fact, I think in some instances, maybe even more so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, growing up, I, I didn't know 
the kind of man that I wanted to be. Um, I didn't certainly know the kind of father that I wanted to be, but up until a few years ago, I knew I didn't want to be anything, anything like my dad. Yes. Um, and, 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 and that was what, what motivated me personally and professionally, probably to a certain extent now that, I, now that I'm, I'm talking about it, but uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's funny because I have to remind my kids sometimes that I have a job and, and, and consequently I, I cannot be at their beck and call uh, day and night uh, because, you know, when my dad was there when we were younger, it was, it was big. Like it was a wedding or funeral yes. or graduation or that, that little league game that I, I write about that I remember because it was so weird. Dad didn't show up for stuff in part because he worked third shift at the post office, but in, in larger part because, because of the addiction issues that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, I've, I've gone to the other end of the spectrum. So if, you know, I'm there for soccer games and my daughter yes. had a, a gymnastics recital last Sunday morning and, you know, so I'm, I'm physically present as often as, and as much as I can be, you know, pick, I do school pickup and <laughs> I try to do it all because, you know, my dad didn't do any of it. Now, mm-hmm. now the problem that, that, that you create when you do that, and I, it took me a while to figure this out. I've created expectations. Yes. So if if I'm not there to go, oh, daddy's got to travel uh, for work. Well, daddy, why can't you, why, can you take a later flight? Or maybe, can you go tomorrow? And I've had to say a few times, you know, that it's the job that pays for, for all of this. <laughs> you, know, you don't get to go to dance or you don't get to go to soccer if daddy's not hopping on a plane. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Uh, so that that's the that's the that's the, the unfortunate part. But they're you know they're starting to understand. But it's funny as you become a parent, how you at some point become, you become the kind of, of for me at least the kind of father that I used to mock. Yes, I hated when my dad would talk about you know how much something costs. And yes. We don't have money for this, <laughs> and and, and, we, and when we were younger, we didn't like it, he wasn't lying. Like we knew we didn't have a lot of money. We knew we had enough. With my kids. You know, I've, I've said a few times that well, we can't afford this. And my son, without missing a beat, will say, well, y- yes, we can. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can. And I'm like, and then you then you find yourself trying to come up with a, a new excuse. Like, uh, well, maybe we can't afford it, but that we don't need it. You don't need that. You're right, well, right, right, right. You know, so it's... Uh, it's hard. It's you know, hard. Craig, it, it, I know we're about to wrap up, but I want to bring up a very um, a, f- a fun moment as a parent that I I, I want to share with you because you wrote about it when your son climbed in the bed and you know right. and then your kids when they sleep if you if you don't have kids children you got a very young child yeah. when they climb in the bed they forget you in bed. They, they kids, kids are the worst sleepers in the world, especially when they get that six to ten years of age. They oh, the yeah. worst sleeper. And so, when you said that in the book, you said you 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 may miss that. I remember when I talked to my daughter when she was like seventeen. I said, "Hey, won't you won't you hop in bed and watch a TV?" She said, "What you talking about?" I said, "You know, can we not watch a TV? Can we not watch TV together?" Remember when we used to go? I don't do that no more, Dad. Uh uh-uh, uh, no, no, we're not doing that. So <laughs> I would tell you this, Craig. That moment brought brought laughter to me. It brought back memories. As your book, you know, the, the amazingly good book, Pops, Learning to Be a Son and a Father, man. Uh, it's a great read. And, and like I said, it slowed me. When I said the word slowed me because I was becoming emotional. Because like I said, my father was a beer drinker. My father worked hard as a truck driver. My father, when, like I said, was he in my life? I don't know. But did he shape me to be the man I am today? Yes, he did. Because he had a role in it. And that, that role has made me to be the man I am. I like to believe I'm a good parent to my daughter, a good husband to my wife. And uh, those are the things that, that the stories that you tell out of this book, from the incarcerated to uh, individuals who raised you as a family, the community, and whether it's teachers who shaped you as third grade teachers who shaped you as, as you go through life and, and you went to school and you, you didn't want to shame your uncle when you didn't pledge Cap Apsa. <laughs> but it was all good, man. I, I love your book, Craig. I want to appreciate you for putting it out there, man. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. You're very good at what you do. Thank you for having me. Okay, we talk soon, man. I'm going to put this out. I got, like, I got a nice little social media. I'm going to put that out there in my, my newsletter. We're going to get that out there for you. Okay, Craig? Thank you, sir. Be well, okay? All right, bye-bye. If you want to see or hear any of my interviews on Money Making Conversation, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.
You've been listening to Money Making Conversations with Rashawn McDonald. Please join us next week and always remember, lead with your gifts. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Rodney Scott is the barbecue pit master, James Beard award-winning chef, and founder of Rodney Scott's Whole Hog Barbecue. He is operating restaurants in South Carolina and in Alabama. He has turned barbecue into a multi-million dollar business. I am trying to take over the world. I'm trying to spread the love everywhere. Because mm-hmm. whenever you find a barbecue, you find people in a good mood, people having a party, people enjoying themselves. So I was like, why not spread this love all over the world as far as we can? You know? Right. If, it, if it's me, it's absolutely great. If it's somebody else, it's, it's just as good, mm-hmm. you know? Let's, let's, let's put it in as many places as we can. And every time I think about, should I do it in this state? Should I try it in that state? And I, I say to myself, why not? Just, just let's do it. Mm-hmm. And, and my goal is to spread this love, this Rodney Scott whole hog love all over the world. If you want to hear my full interview with Rodney Scott, visit moneymakingconversations.com. Keep winning.